Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and tortoises everywhere with dreams of the Chicago Marathon. It's Thursday at 3 o'clock, and you know what that means? It's Tea with BBP. Live from the Michigan State University campus, it's me, your host, Bill Van Patten, a.k.a. BVP, international superstar, and what, Walter? Diva of SLA. And speaking of tortoises, Aww. with me in the studio are my slow and steady cohorts, Angelica Aww. Kramer and Walter Hopkins. Say hey. Say hey. Hey. Did you just call us cohorts? Yeah. Yeah, cohorts. But we're your... slow and steady. We stick with them to the end. Yeah. Can cohorts be really plural? Yeah. People can be cohorts. You are now. Well, okay. I'm a cohort. <laughs> I like it. I am a cohort. I am a slow and are steady you cohort. Questioning my no, English no. speaking skills. No, no. Oh, I never would. Oh, because my Because I got a test for you in a minute. We're going to oh, test boy. your skills in a minute. Oh, no. Yeah, you do that. You know why we're going to test your skills? skills? Walter, Walter, what's the date today? What's the date? Uh, December 8th. And for it's the, the day of the Immaculate Conception. And so I normally take this day off as a holiday, uh, as a religious holy day, but I decided to come into the studio anyway and do this because I didn't want to miss my time with Angelica and Walter. And, and our listeners. And also it was snowing. And you know how it is when it starts to snow with me. I just don't want to leave my house because I'm a whip mm. when it comes to driving. But it made me think about something. Snow. Mm-hmm. Snow. Walter, do you know how many idioms there are with the word snow in it? Haven't the slightest. You'd... 134. Well, we're good. I just decided this would be a fun way to start the show today because we are a language-oriented show. This is about language teaching and language acquisition, right? And you would, Walter, how would you classify Angelica? Because she's, she's a non-native speaker of English, but... She's pretty awesome. She's pretty good, right? <laughs> it's like, I wouldn't, I almost consider her a native speaker. So we're going to give her some... Idioms with oh, the word man. snow in it. We're going to ask what? her what they mean. Oh, okay? Boy. So this is, this is our little warm-up here before we get into the show. So, hey, um, this scary. is better than the pop culture quiz yeah. I got. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So <clears throat> here's the first one. Angelica. Yes. What does a snow job mean? <laughs> Something very bad just popped into my head. <laughs> um, a snow job. Yes. Have you ever heard no the term idea. snow job? Mm-hmm. I don't even know what that means. Yeah, you do. <laughs> like, Walter, you give me a snow job. Knock it off. I have never heard that in my life. Okay, I'm looking in the studio booth right now. Dustin, you know snow job? Danny, you know snow job? You know what a snow job is either? A snow job is... Okay, <laughs> Luca, Luke, Luke is a not, another non-line speaker, but Dustin knows, right? Thank gosh. Okay, so... Maybe it's an age thing. No, Maybe. it's not an I, age I, thing. I pledge. I, I, I pledge. I pledge age. I can't even talk. Yeah, what? No, you plead. You plead age. You're, you're pleading... Oh, yeah, thank whatever, you. That's whatever. what I'm doing. Yeah. God. <laughs> A snow job. <laughs> a snow job is when you're trying to pull the wool over somebody's eyes. Or you're trying to huh. um, get somebody to believe something that's not true, okay. or to fake something. Like, uh-uh, that's a snow job. Uh-uh, I'm not buying a snow. You're giving me a snow job. Here. I've never heard that before. <laughs> okay, so here's another one. Ready for this? Okay, snow on the mountain or snow on the roof. What does that refer to, Angelica? Is it like bird on the? On the thing is better than your bird in the hand, or the other way around, whatever. Oh, you God. know that one? Do you want me to put it in context for you? Yes. Okay. Um, he's got a lot of snow on the roof, but boy, he's got a, he, there's, there's a fire in him still. He's old, but he's feisty. Okay, so snow on the roof means? Gray hair, white yeah, hair. White, white hair. hair, exactly. Okay. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, okay. Angela got one. Oh. There you go. Hey, I, I, did I just win coasters? No, you didn't win. <sighs> We're gonna, okay, I'm going to give you one more because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite people here to do something in a minute. Here's another one. Let's see if you know this one. Uh, what does it mean when someone says roast snow in a furnace? These, these are real idioms. Don't look at me with those faces. Huh. Roast snow in a furnace. Well, it's it's, <laughs> it's no an idea. impossible task. Yeah, a ridiculous task yeah. or an impossible task, yeah. something you cannot do. See, Walter? Dude, she, I'm better than Walter, you, Wally. Walter is still True. there with a look on his face like, Roast snow. Put it in, put it in context. Let me Walter, Walter doesn't even know what snow means. Walter, you know what snow means, right? Stop. <laughs> Can you define snow? Okay. Yeah. Roast snow in a furnace is like you say, um, you're really going to try that? Boy, that's like roasting snow in a furnace, girl. That's what you would say. Oh, I guess like, I, I think I have heard that now that you put it in context. Yes. Oh, just say, yeah. See, Walter needs the contextual clues for to get things. So here's what we do. I got a couple more, but I'm going to save them. What I'm going to invite our callers to do is... To call in during the show and with another snow idiom and put it to Angelic and Walter. Now that we know Walter does not know <laughs> snow oh, idioms, great. 
<laughs> and see, and maybe I don't know them either. I don't know. <laughs> but um, see what other snow idioms you can come up with. And we're going to test ourselves and our knowledge of the English language. Because idioms are a good test to find out hmm. how long people have been. Because those you only get from being immersed a long time in the culture. And there are age-related ones. You're right. There are some idioms that are, like, old. Well, and I also wonder geographically, <clears throat> would people in non-snowy states even know? There's no such thing as a non-snowy state. Every state has well, snow in its country. Well, yeah, but I think what? there is less snow in Arizona than there is in You just got to go in the Michigan. mountains to get it. You go up to, Flags, go up to Flagstaff and the Grand Canyon, there's snow up there. Well, if you live in a city where there is a very limited amount of snowfall every year— and you've lived there forever. Yeah, I bet you. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna do a monkey. Okay, Luca, put this. We're gonna do a monkey survey, and we're gonna find out how many people across the country and around the world our listeners have heard of the like snow job. Okay, because that's just, that's a yeah, typical. I do want to know that. Never okay. heard of it. All right. Well, speaking of giving challenging questions to people, um, we're gonna have our typical SLA challenge question in the show. I think everybody knows how that works, right? I'm going to give the audience, the listening audience, a question in a few minutes. And the first person to make it to the phones uh, and say, Dustin, Dustin, I want to take the SLA challenge quiz, will win a prize if they get it correct, right? And you're going to make that famous sound, right, Walter? Ding, 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 ding. There you go. And the same for the Diva Challenge question. I'll read that question sometime later in the show, and you'll have time to call in again and tell Dustin, I want to answer the Diva Challenge question and win a prize, please. And then if you get it right, Walter will go. Ding, 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 ding. And if you get it wrong, Angelica will go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, of course, speaking of Angelica and Walter, we have Angelica's quote of the week, and Walter's really week later in the show to keep you a abreast of the latest in, in SLA stuff and inspirational things. The number to reach us at is 517-884-4321. Again, 517-884-4321. Again, Dustin is the person on the phone lines waiting for your call. Uh, you can also send us an email at twithbvp at gmail.com. Angela, of course, is on Mixler to see what issues come up during the show. Um, but remember, we do like you to call in because we get lonely here. Otherwise, it's just Angelic and Walter and me talking to each other, right? I mean, we see each other all the time. We need some other interaction. I don't see Angelica very much. It makes me sad. Hmm. Well, you need to go downstairs more. Get out of your four-story uh, Even if I were to go suite. downstairs, she has meetings. She's busy. Yeah. Boring. Uh, yeah, well, she's got that kind of job. Well, you know, yeah. she's, 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 she's higher up in the food chain than you and I are. So. <laughs> if only, yeah. Uh... <laughs> anyway, so pick up the phone and call us, please. Again, Walter, what's the number? Five one seven eight eight four four three two one. There you go. That is our phone number. Now this week we have a great topic. This is a comeback topic, like last week. Again, some of these topics keep coming around, and the topic is tasks, tasks, and communicating in the language classroom. Um, and I actually put this topic on the agenda for today because we got some emails about it um, that we couldn't get to. And I thought this is the fact that people are asking about tasks again means it's time to talk about them a little bit more. Um, so that's why we're doing it. And um, I guess maybe some people are uneasy about tasks or they still have some questions about them or maybe they don't quite understand how they fit into what they're doing. And to be honest, I've, I've gotten some email. I've heard from some people out there. Um, they think that when, when people like me talk about tasks, but I'm talking against the role of input and I'm talking about anti-acquisition things, which I will clarify in a minute. So let's get to some definitions first, right? Um, Walter, what do we have to define if we're going to talk about tasks? What's the first thing we have to define when we talk about tasks? Well, I imagine that one of the first things we have to define is what is communication? Right, exactly, because tasks are part of what we talk about in communicative classrooms. So, so what is communication? We define it, or have been defining it for about 40 years now, as, as the expression and interpretation of meaning in a given context. And here we're talking about the classroom context, not the barbershop, not the bank teller, or the bank, not, the, not anywhere else, but the classroom context. Okay, and context is defined by people and setting, right? Okay, so we're talking about expression and interpretation of meaning in the classroom context. And what is more, communication is always purposeful. So whether we're in or out of the classroom, we always communicate to do things, to learn things, or to build things, or to create things. We also communicate to entertain, and we communicate to socialize, because Walter was just saying he'd like to see more of Angelica, so he needs to communicate with her more, right? Socialize. <laughs> so in short, we always communicate with an eye toward an outcome that is not 
the language itself. So in the real world and even in the classroom, we don't use language um, to do anything other than to learn something, build something, create something, entertain, and so on, all these purposes that we use language and communication for. So using these definitions, we can look at classroom events along what I call two dimensions, whether or not they involve meaning making and whether or not they have a non-language purpose. So let's take three things for people uh, before we, we um, wrap this up and start taking phone calls or give the desolate challenge question. Three different kinds of things that happen in classrooms. I call exercises, activities, and tasks. Exercises are those kinds of things people do in classroom that don't involve any meaning making. There's no focus on information exchange, expression, interpretation of meaning. Um, and therefore, they obviously have no um, communication purpose. They're not, they have a, a language purpose, not a communication purpose. Okay, so they're not tasks. Then there are things that I call activities. Activities have a focus on meaning. Uh, there's meaning making involved, but they don't actually have a purpose. And we'll illustrate each of these in just a minute. And then, um, then there are tasks which involve meaning making. There's expression, interpretation of meaning in the context of the classroom. And that they have a purpose that's non-language. That is that we are trying to learn something, build something, create something, entertain, or do something with language other than practice language. Okay, so an exercise would be something like what? Fill in the blank. Or repeat after me. Or uh, Walter, how would you put this verb in the past tense? Uh, Angelica, um, put a snow job in a sentence for me. Uh, those would be examples of exercises where the purpose is to practice language, um, but not there's no and there's no meaning making involved. Um, activities would be different because there's meaning making involved. So there would be something like um, um, Walter. Do you yes, think, sir. Do you think Angelica, Angelica is giving you a snow job right now? Not knowing these these idiots. I can't even remember I'm, what I'm, it means. Actually, you can't. Remember? Okay, so my by Walt asking Walter that question is because <laughs> what did it mean again? I'm we're we're just we're just we're making meaning, but I don't really have any purpose. I'm just using the language. I'm using snow job to just get some conversation going. Okay, a task would have a purpose. Okay, um, would a task would involve um, saying uh, let's find out uh, how many people around the country actually know what these idioms are: snow job, snow on the mountain and roast snow in a furnace. So here's your task. I'm going to put you in groups, and I'll help you. And what you're going to do is create a monkey survey. And you're going to do it. You're going to create this monkey survey, and then um, we're going to share our ideas, and then we'll finalize the monkey survey. Then we're going to put it up, and we're going to have people take it, and then we'll look at the results. And see? So now we're using our language in class for a purpose, which is to create this, this survey and then go find something out and see what people really know about these, these idioms. Okay, so... There's a difference. Can I interject something real quick? Sure. Nina is asking, what would just chatting be? Is that an activity? A chatting would be an activity. Okay, thank you. If it doesn't have a purpose. If you're just chatting to chat, unless you're socializing, then you're, 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 you could be using language for a psychosocial purpose, but um, it's very hard to just chat in a classroom. People very seldom chat in a classroom. People chat because they want to practice language. Well, they like to chat, but they do it in their first language, I'm sure. Right. I'm talking to... about when teachers chat. <laughs> teachers chat because they're practicing language with students. Yeah, okay. Terry's asking about storytelling. Yeah, well, we'll get to the storytelling in a minute because okay. I know that's going to come up. <laughs> okay. Um, and then contrary to popular belief, let me just finish this up and then we'll, we'll move toward phone calls and other kinds of things. But also contrary to popular belief, not all tasks are output-based. We put up on the website two examples of the same task. One is input-based and one is output-based. And then you can also have tasks that are mixed input and output. So a task doesn't mean that the learners are creating with language. Um, they can be interpreting and expressing meaning in a limited sense um, in an input-based task. And again, I'm just going to send people to the website to see the difference between those two tasks so they can see what I'm talking about. Um, and just as a reminder, when you look at those tasks, remember, all tasks are context-dependent, right? Um, there's no single way to do a task. There's no single type of task. Um, as long as you have purpose going on and you have meaning-making, you have a task. And the task has to be context-appropriate, being appropriate for your age group, your setting, who you are, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. Um, so the tasks we put up, uh, I put up on the website with Luca, are ones that we would use, for example, at the college level. And they may or may not be appropriate for another level. But anyway, so again, the idea here is if you have, if you're me, me, uh, making meaning in class and you have some purpose other than practicing language, that is, there's some outcome other than language practice, then you've actually got a task. 
Okay. Um, let me give the SLA challenge question um, because it's related to the topic, and then we'll see what's going on in Mixler, and we'll see if there's any phone calls coming in. Okay. Here's the SLA challenge question. You ready for this? Pay attention, Walter Angelica. Yes. We're listening very closely. My co-author, James F. Lee, and myself, James F. Lee and I first talked about tasks in non-ESL language teaching in what publication? Again, James F. Lee and I first talked about tasks in non-ESL language teaching in what publication? Now, I bring this up because we were the first people to actually talk about tasks in Spanish and French and German other languages, whereas tasks at that point were limited to the ESL context. So again, Jim Lee and I first talked about tasks in non-ESL language teaching in what publication? Okie dokies. So Colin, Dustin's waiting for you. Again, the number is 517-884-4321. Okay, now, Angelica, I know Mixler's already exploding, right? Yeah. So well, what's going not on? Too you, bad. You said that some things were going on there with uh, some questions. So let's take let's take some of those while we wait to see if anyone's going to call in here. Yeah. So Terry was asking into which category storytelling would fall, and also movie talk. It depends on what storytelling means. Storytelling. What does storytelling mean? Creating a story is a task, depending on what the outcome is. Okay. If you're going to do something with the story, then you're you're that's a task, right? Because remember, we use language to learn something, to build something, to create something, um, to uh, socialize, and to entertain. So if you're creating a story, and, and the, the true purpose is the outcome is, let's say at the end of the week, you're going to write a 100-word story on a topic of somebody losing something. And then you spend that week building the story with the students so they can write it afterwards. Then you've got something like a task going on because then you're using language so they can perform something afterwards. And then we're going to put the stories up on a website or something um, or share the stories. And, and you know, So you, if you create something, um, then you're doing some kind of task, right? Um, so, But then, I, I mean, there are different kinds of storytelling. So that's why I asked Terry, mm -hmm. what do you mean by storytelling? Um, that can mean a, a broad range of things. Um, but Terry's probably asking in the TPRS sense, I bet. Um, those of you who don't know what TPRS is, um, teaching proficiency through reading and storytelling. Um, so storytelling in those sense can either be language practice, it can be an activity, or it can be a task, depending on how you make the outcome of, of that, it, what the purpose of that is. If the purpose is just to practice the language, then you get an activity, even though you're meaning-making. But if actually going to write a story and post it somewhere and share it with the world or do something with it because uh, they're actually going to create a story um, based on what they've done in class together with you and building story over time. Then you got a task. So, Got it. Thank you. So I have to take a drink of water. Those of you out there, I still saw this flu got me. <coughs> there I go. Really bad a couple of weeks ago. And I'm over it a, a, a lot. Mostly I'm over it. But now I got that post-flu asthmatic cough, dry mm -hmm. cough thing. It's driving me crazy. I was with a student in my office earlier before we, I came to the studio, and I was hacking away and hacking away. I felt so bad because I probably thought I was giving him germs. But anyway. so I have a question. You have a question. Mm -hmm. Walter has a question. Angelica. Walter has a question. He's been Shocking. paying attention. I have a question. He's been paying attention. Walter's not. I thought he was sleeping over here. Do you, like, it's your question? It's my question, question yeah. I, I, well, I think, I mean, it's a question I think I already know the answer to, but I just want to put it out there for our listeners to hear. And this, and it is, so, I think you ideally would say tasks are the best thing to use in classes, but does that mean that activities and exercises should be completely left out of a language class, or is there a place for activities and exercises in the language class, or should we exclusively focus our attention on tasks? And, Walt, and Walter thinks he knows the answer to that question already, right, Walt? Is that what you said? You no, think? I didn't say that. Yes, you did. <laughs> I was, for you I was paying. You said, I think I already know the answer to this question. I'm going to ask it anyway. That's, he said something like that, didn't he? Okay. Yep. I've just spent too much time with you, Bill, but I want to hear your answer. for the. No, for well, the you know my answer is I, I think exercises are a waste of time because they don't do much for language learning. Activities are fine, actually. Activities are because you've got to have sometimes, like, uh, if you... If you have a task you, you, you're getting to, um, that's, that's a goal that you're, you're headed for, for example, um, then you might have activities that help build toward being able to do that task, right? Um, no classroom, no curriculum should be a steady march 
of one thing day in, day out, minute after minute, after an hour. So nothing but tasks, nothing but activities, nothing but X, nothing but Y, wouldn't make, I think, for a very boring curriculum. Okay, so you have to have a smattering of things um, to, so you don't suffer from fatigue. So, <clears throat> so um, I, use, I use tasks to anchor things, um, but even tasks aren't the only things we would do, for example, because um, you have to have things, you have to have days where you get off tasks and do something else just, that could just be pure entertainment. Um, but again, even tasks, entertainment could be task-related. Mm-hmm. Um, but so activities where you're making meaning but not necessarily have a purpose in communication, you're just, for example, like um, I, I did this with Carol at Agful where I showed the task at the end of the week was going to be interviewing someone in class and you have to find out all this information about them for me, right? Because I want to know who you are, what classes you're taking, what's your major, um, blah, 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 how many credits you're taking. So in order to get there, I have to build up to that. And so the first day, a mini task I had was at the end of the class, you're going to introduce yourself to three people, find out their name, and find out where they're from. That's a task for the end of the first day. Doesn't sound like much, but it takes a lot to get there. And my first thing I do in class is not a task, it's an activity. It's, um, it looks like a task, but it's really not. It's a bunch of photos of different actors, and it's to find out, you know, we want to know if you know who these actors are. So I asked you what their names are. What's his name? What's his name? What's his name? What's his name? And so what you're getting is a lot of input with name, with, with how to say, ask a person their name, or what's his name? Because you're going to need that later on the task when you, because you have to present the three people you met. So Walter has to stand up at the end of class and say, well, I met, I, okay, that's Angelica. Her name, no, her name is Angelica, and she's from East Lansing, right? Um, so I have a bunch of activities that lead up to this little task. So not everything's a task. Doesn't have I to knew be. that was going to be your answer. See, then why did why did you ask it? Well, I think it's good for the listeners to know. I, I, I know. What you you're... think. They I don't know. care what I think. They I don't care if asking. I can tell them what you think. They just want to hear it from your lips. From my lips, right? From my lips. My lips are moving. My lips are moving. My lips are moving. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. But I'm not lying. I'm not lying. I'm dancing right along with you here. Okay. All right. <clears throat> there I go. I'm, gosh, I'm just, I'm, I'm dying with this thing here. Someone's going to have to like. Take over, Angelica. Someone's going to have to Lysol this <laughs> microphone at the end of this oh, session today, I tell you. Oh, my God. Get that, get that Lysol sure his spray and microphone spray stays there and that we don't. Get it next week, okay? <laughs> All right. Okay, we're waiting for people to call in for that SLA challenge question. That's an easy one, and I know that's so easy. My gosh, it's ridiculous. That do you know SLA. the answer, Angelica? I looked it up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's how. That's one way to see. It. That's a task, right? See that? Oh well, yeah, intelligence. A task right there. If there you, you know go. where to look, there's a little task for you. <laughs> So what should we do while we're waiting for um, someone to call on this? We can actually – should we talk a little bit about the tasks that got uploaded onto the oh, website? Oh, yeah. Because we uploaded two tasks, if you haven't looked at those. Um, and they're both tasks related to what people did last night. Um, and the activity is called sedentary or active. And the purpose of the task is to find out – the immediate purpose of the task is to find out how sedentary or how active people were last night. And you get a broad range. of When you complete the task, you get a broad range of scores uh, for people in the classroom. And then what I wound up doing with it when, when I use this kind of task in classroom is then we compare the, 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 our profile, the classroom profile, with different age groups. And you wind up seeing that with different age groups. Um, people are more active. The younger they are, then as they get into their 30s and 40s, they get less active, become more sedentary, and then they get active again and later on. And you can see there's that dip during your career where you become more sedentary, we have more sedentary lifestyles, and you get active again when you retire because now you're doing more, more physical things. Um, but anyway, so um, and so we did. We put two two versions of it up. We put one which is input oriented. The reason that one's input oriented, if you if you haven't if you haven't looked at it, when you look at it carefully, you'll see it's input oriented because students do not create with language. When I talk about output, um, I always mean that learners are creating with language. So if I read. When I read the SLA challenge question earlier, right? I'll read it again. Jim Lee and I first talked about tasks in non-ESL language teaching in what publication? I'm not creating with language right there. I'm reading off the page. Okay, and so, um, so that's, it, it sounds like output because my lips are moving, right? But I'm not creating as I am right now looking on Angelica and talking to her or turning to Walter and talking to him. I'm, I'm actually creating off the top of my head right now. 
But I'm reading off the page. It's, it's input to me as a language learner when I'm reading off the page. So when you look at that input-oriented task, you can see that it's interactive in the sense that I got to get information from Walter and Angelica, Dustin, Daniel, Luke, or everybody else in the classroom. Um, but I'm not creating with language. I'm just reading off the page and marking down responses. Then I sit back and I put them on a scale. Then the teacher, then I'm raising my hand and doing, giving one-word answers when the teacher's conducting um, the follow-up and so on. So um, as opposed to the output-oriented task, when you look at that version, it actually doesn't give anything on the page. It test tells students to find out um, 10 things a person did yesterday or last night. So you have to come up with the things, what you want to ask them, um, and how you're going to ask them, and so on. And so it's, it's there, you really are creating with language on the spot. And so the, the reason I want to put those tasks up so people could see, and I think this is one of our questions that came up. Walter, isn't there a question about this? Um, that came up in the uh, T with BBP um, at Gmail account uh, about um, having tasks being later. What is the question there? Do you find? Did you find it, Walter? Yep. Yeah, I have it right because I just related to this. Go ahead, go ahead and read that question because it's a good one. Sure. Uh, this is from Marjorie, and Marjorie asks the question: I'm hesitant to have. Well, she states and then asks the question: I'm hesitant to have my students speaking when some may not be ready. I want them to come to speaking on their own terms. Are there any communicative tasks that would help students have the confidence to speak or build their confidence? Also, are communicative tasks necessary in the first and second years of language acquisition instruction? Thank you. See, and here's where it's important to, to talk about this again. Out there in the field, people think communication means you have to speak and create with language. But look at that task, Marjorie. Go to our website. Look at that input-oriented task. Students don't have to create with language. Any student who, um, who you feel comfortable with or at that level can do that task. Um, and it gives them the confidence that you're talking about. And it is communicative because there is information being exchanged and interpreted. But nobody is creating with language in the sense of creating output. Um, and so let's, let's, let's kind of get away from that idea that Communication means you have to create with output. You can communicate and your lips can be moving uh, because you're asking, I'm, you've, I've got 10 questions I got to interview you on. And here are my 10 questions. Um, and I get the information and I do, you make me do something with it. I rank you or I rate you or I categorize you or I, I put a one word answer in a box or do something. Um, <clears throat> so, so think about that, Marjorie, and anybody else thinking about um, that in, in the early stages, particularly in, in, in first and second year language courses, where it's really hard for students to create language on their own. They can do communicative tasks that are input-oriented. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with, with, with those things, they actually. And students like those, actually. We've, we've, I've never had students tell me they don't feel they're not learning something when they're doing those. And they feel that they can do them, which is great. So. And I think that can be motivational for them, too, because I think sometimes, you know, Marjorie asked about in the first and second year, do they, should they have output, you know, tasks? And uh, those input types of tasks can be beneficial because the students, I think a lot of times the students want to feel like they have some ability to do something with language. And you wouldn't want to go through the first two years of language and still feel like you can't do anything, right? So, so it's motivational for the students as well. Yeah, exactly. And because, and you know, there's sort of like, how do we say this? There's an affective side to these things in teaching, too, where um, Marjorie uses the word confidence. You know, students have the confidence. How do you give them the confidence? Well, students are interacting and they think they're using language, but they're not really creating with language, but they're doing something other than just listening to you, right? So when I'm doing that, that input-based task with Angelica and Walter and Daniel and, and Luca, uh, I as a student think I'm doing something, um, but really... Technically, the, the language is still in the hands of the teacher and the, and the piece of paper in front of me. Um, but it's, so it's a psychological thing. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, as you say, it's motivational since students feel they're doing something, even though we know technically, technically they're not. So anyway, so, so I, I think it's important for people to distinguish between input-oriented tasks and output-oriented tasks. Um, okay. Um, since I think our phone lines are broken. Right. I know we got right? four we got no. four we got four <laughs> new lines on the phone here. Nobody's calling in. Nobody wants our coasters. <laughs> I'm gonna have to start giving bigger presents for people call in. Yeah. Maybe now maybe. that it's winter time, we should have these like these great red hooded parkas with fur around the, the cap. Oh, yeah. That we should make some hoodies. Stars. That says T with VP T with VP uh, hoodies. Yeah. Hoodies. That's an idea. 
gloves. I mean, everything. The whole the whole set. We don't even have pens. Do we have pens? Well, we so want we pens. Don't we write yeah, pens anymore? Oh, come on now. People want like you know what we need is like um, iPhone iPhone covers. iPhone covers. Yeah. <laughs> right. You're just reading what I was thinking. Right. Oh my god. All right. Okay, Walter. So let's move to Walter's segment. Walter's going to tell oh, us Walter's his reading segment. of the week. All yeah, right. Walter, don't you have something to tell the audience? I've got something. Yes, I do. All right. In the meantime, Luke is asking me if we can get beer mugs for, um, uh, for, <laughs> with the TVP logo. We'll I'm afraid we'll on here. We'll, ask, we'll have to ask the dean about that. Well, today, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you about a book. And I know that whenever I tell you about books, everyone complains, they're so expensive. Well, this one, my friends, is not so expensive. It's going to be okay. It's only $19.95 on Amazon.com. And you can get a used copy for ninety-eight cents. <laughs> Plus, I don't know if that, I'm my, sure. yeah, I don't but, know if you want to say that out loud. People might think, "Oh my God, what kind of what kind of?" But here is the book, ladies and gentlemen. It's actually written by uh, James F. Lee, who's oh, already my... been mentioned on today's uh-huh. show. Yes, in, in, in the SLA challenge question, people. Go yeah, ahead. come on, call in about the SLA challenge question. But this this is not the answer to the SLA <laughs> challenge question because this was not co-written by our very own Bill Van Patten, but simply solely written by James Effley, and it's a book entitled Tasks and Communicating in Language Classrooms. That's right, Tasks and Communicating in Language Classrooms, and this book was published in 1999 by McGraw-Hill, and it's in the Second Language Professional Series, so go on to Amazon.com or some other place, or go to your local library or your university library, for that matter, and see if you can get a copy of Tasks and Communicating in Language Classrooms by James F. Lee. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That's Walter's segment. Thank you, Walter. <laughs> I happen well know th- done, Walter. Well I happen done. to know that book because I, I edited that book. But, and it's got, it's got a really neat experiment. And I'll just tell people real quick. Um, one of the things that Jim describes in there in one chapter is this experiment he did with teacher-fronted activities versus an actual student-student task that the teacher directed. So a teacher-fronted class versus a teacher-led task that was student-student oriented. And the, the topic was something about bilingualism, and I figured exactly what happened. And what Jim did was he, he you know, looked at, he ran this, this experiment, looked at two things, and he looked at the, the basic outcome he looked at was what chances were there for the expression of meaning on the part of the students and the interpretation of meaning? And found out, obviously, in the task that students were expressing more meaning and so on. But what he found out that I thought was fascinating, and this is particularly important for those of you who teach higher-level language classes. If you teach, for example, high school third or fourth year, or you teach conversation and, and or content classes at the college level. He found that when he gave, even though the content was exactly the same in the two um, situations, um, that the students in the task-oriented group recalled significantly more information on the test afterwards than the students in the teacher-fronted group. Which makes sense when you think about it because when you're one-on-one, you have to pay attention more, right? Whereas if you're in a class of 30 people and the teacher's you know, um, fronting the activity, then um, you can zone out. And so when he gave the post test about, you know, what do you now what do you what do you now know about this topic? And these questions he gave them, they scored significantly higher in the task group. So there's a benefit there's a cognitive benefit to the task in terms of just learning things. So that's that was I thought was interesting. So it's a good book. It's a good book. Very short book, just not a very long book. So Get It While They Last. Makes a great stopping, stocking stuffer. That's right. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to stick that in your stocking. I'm going to stick that in your stocking, Walter. Stick it in my stuffing. I think we yeah. already passed I'm that. Gonna stuff it. I'm going to stuff it in your stocking. Stick it in your stuff. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to stick it in your turkey. How's that? I, don't know. <laughs> I tell you, this flu has just did, done me in. At least, I'm, at least I'm off the Metamucil now. I mean the, mus- <laughs> I mean the Mucinex. That Mucinex was making me sick to my stomach. Really? I don't know if anybody else out there is, has taken Mucinex, but oh, it's awful. Okay, well, we have passed the 330 mark, so I think I might have to retract and recall. Okay, maybe we need to re-say the phone number because the I'm SLA not sure. The SLA challenge you know, question. 517-884-4321 is the number. Call in. We want to hear from you. All right. Should I go ahead and give the diva question now and retract the SLA question or just leave the SLA question hanging out there? Leave, leave it hanging. out there, yeah. yeah. Okay, we'll leave it hanging out there. Okay, so I'm going to give the diva challenge question. All right. Now, 
those of you who are fans will remember that when I used this term in the past, and again, Miss Original Speaker of German here and Mr. Original Speaker of English here did not know this term, silver screen. Do you remember the term silver screen? Yes. What it refers to? Yes. What does it refer to? Oh, God. The, the, the movie screen. Yeah. Okay, so silver screen is a term that was used for the movies um, when they were black and white. And it's still used. Now, now we just say the big screen versus the TV screen, right? So we say big screen movies. But in the old days, they talked about the silver screen. Okay, so here's my question. Which diva of the silver screen was forever immortalized in the book and film Mommy Dearest? Mommy Dearest. I hear it. I repeat. Which diva of the silver screen was forever immortalized in the book and film Mommy Dearest? Okay, so now we got two questions hanging out there. So what's the phone number again? Just remind people. 517-884-4321. Oh, wow. Angelica's got it memorized. If you see the, the, see the power repetition and the input, Angelica's <laughs> got that phone number memorized. <laughs> All right. Okay. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to cough. Walter, take over. Angelica, take over. Wow, that's intense. <laughs> I tell you. That is intense. Isn't it awful? I should pop a Ricola in. I'm going to do that real okay, quick. Okay, so then. people are all answering all the all the questions. SLA challenge question and the Diva challenge question. They're they're answering it on Mixler. You you people need to call in. There's prizes to be had. Really? Use your phone. Yeah, we're give you another date with and Walter. Dial the number. <laughs> right, Angelica? Right. Absolutely. Angelica yeah. and I are giving Walter away on a date, yep. so. Well, <laughs> I actually do think we have a caller for the SLA question. Uh, looks like we do. The thing's moving around on the screen there. I can't quite tell what's going on. I think did oh. it get dropped? Something's going on. There's a caller trying to come in on our new our new fancy phone lines. Um, we have four of them now. Okay, we got four <laughs> people calling in at once. While the, while the, while the booth people sort that out, our technical people. Um, I'm going to say that um, the prize, if you call in, is going to be Walter will become your stocking stuffer for. <laughs> I don't think you Christmas. can give away Walter. Walter does not want to be given away. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Walter's gonna. Walter's we gonna, want to keep Walter here. We're gonna. We're gonna send Walter down the chimney of your house. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got a caller coming in. We got Kyo calling from Japan. Kyo, you're on the phone. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? Yeah, I, I'm so glad that I can call in. Yeah. What is it like? Five o'clock or six o'clock in the morning? There. What time is it? Uh. It's five thirty. Oh my gosh! Yeah, wow. But it, it's it is uh, much easier for me to wake up because uh, because of the uh, winter time. Mm -hmm. Before that, I I have to wake up uh, thirty uh, three fifty or so. Oh my gosh! But now, yeah, I uh, I wake up. I, I today I woke up for uh, fifty. Oh, okay. Well, good. So just well, so you could listen to us, right? Just, just in time for the show, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, great. Okay, so you're going to answer the SLA challenge question, correct? Oh, yeah. Okay, yes. so let me repeat the question for everybody out there, and then you can give me the answer. So, Jim Lee and I first talked about tasks in a non-ESL language teaching uh, book in what publication? Okay. Uh I'm sure. Uh, I'm not sure the answer, but uh, I think is that uh, McGraw Hill. McGraw Hill. Yes. What's the title of the book? Can you give me the name uh, of the book? Making, making communicative language teaching happen. Ding 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 ding. Yes, yes. And do you? By the way, do you know what year that came out? Uh, I'm not sure the first, uh, first one, but uh, I think it's. It was published in 2003. Second edition was 2003. The first edition, oh, yeah. we started talking about tasks back in 1995. Uh -huh. So oh, yeah. 21 years ago, we were starting about tasks in the language teaching profession. Mm -hmm. And you can see how long it takes for things to, to trickle into the profession. So, um, uh -huh. But anyway, well, good for you, Keo. Thanks for calling in. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, so Dustin has your information, and he's, we're going to send you a mm -hmm. prize. So uh, we'll oh, let yeah. you get back to... You're probably having your morning tea there in uh, Japan, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, well, good for you. All right, well, thanks for calling oh, in. Thanks for calling, Kiyo. Oh, one, uh, before that, yeah. uh, before I call, uh, before that, I, 
I would like to thank you uh, for writing the uh, great, great book uh, from input to output. And oh, well, I, thank you. Yeah, I I've read the book and uh, I I was so impressed how you easily uh, put summarize the SLA uh, theories and uh, kind of things. And then after that, I I I purchased uh, making communicative language teaching happen, but I haven't read so. Yeah, this is a reading assignment for my uh, winter break. Well, there you go. Well, thank you for that nice compliment. I appreciate yeah. that. Well, good luck. Good luck with that. And I like, I'll, yeah, I'll wait to hear from much. you. And maybe in the spring, you can call us with your impressions of the book, okay? Thank you, Keo. Sure. Have a Thanks great day. In, Happy Keo. reading. All right. Okay. Yeah, bye bye. I can't believe Keo gets up. He's called him before. That guy gets yep. up so early in the morning. Yep. My gosh. That's dedication. All right. Um, before we take our next call, uh, anything on Mixler, Angelica? Yeah. So a um, couple of questions here. Steve was asking, would it be safe to say that we must organize class curricula around tasks if we want to follow contemporary communicative language teaching principles? Only if they're my principles. I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean here's, here's, here's the deal. For me, for communicative language teaching, because communication has a definition, that definition has to inform your curriculum, right? So if the definition of communication is the expression and interpretation of meaning in a given context um, and for a purpose other than language practice, then what kinds of things can you do in the classroom that aren't language practice? And so that's, this is why I advocate tasks because they're things to me that that helped me think about how to organize not every class hour, like I said, not every minute, but the curriculum overall. So I might have you know five major tasks in a given semester that we're working toward, and that doesn't mean again that everything else is tasks. It means that those tasks are anchoring um, some of my other um, my other efforts. So, but that's the way I think about it. Um, somebody else might think about it differently. They might have some other way to organize a curriculum. Um, but again, it comes back to if you're going to have, if you're going to say you're teaching communicatively or even proficiency-oriented instruction, you've got to have a purpose that's not language practice. Uh, otherwise, it's very easy to slip into doing just exercises because that's the most efficient way to practice language. Um, but practicing language does not necessarily mean you're learning to communicate or you're acquiring language. So that also means you just said that it is necessary to be purposeful for students to learn, right? Because that was a question Nina had. Um, not, not for students to learn. I think students can acquire a great deal through activities, um, but you have to be careful with activities because they can degenerate into language practice. Mm. Um, and so tasks, tasks, I like tasks that keep me anchored. They, they, they remind me of that, that, if, that I'm, when I do activities in the class, Even though there might be a language focus in my activity, I'm doing it for a bigger purpose, which is this task that's going to come at the end of the week or next Monday or something like that. Um, otherwise, I can just get any old textbook and just teach out of the pages of the textbook and create activities, and then I'm back to where we were 25, 30 years ago, which most of us are still there, by the way. Um, or not most of us, but a lot of us are still there. So anyway, um, yeah, so I like, I like to insist on that idea of purpose. Okay, we got another call on our phone. We've got Donna. From Charlotte. Donna, are you on the line? I am. Can hey. you hear me, Bill? Oh, Donna, I hear you just great. How are things in North Carolina? Well, we've had some cold days staying in the low 50s and high 40s. So um, we're missing our beautiful Carolina blue skies. But they'll be back. Well, you know, I'm not going to grieve for you because we just, <laughs> we're getting our snowfall today. And it's going to be like, what, 30 today? What's the high today? 30? Something like 29 that. 29 or 30. So, and we, like I said, we got our first dusting of snow today. So, we're, we, winter officially hit us today. So, all right. Well, Donna, I have a little birdie told me that you're calling in to answer the diva question. Is that correct? I'm going to give it a try. All right. Well, we're going to let you give it a try here in a minute because I'm going to repeat the question. And then when I repeat, after I repeat the question, you can attempt your answer. So, here we go. Which diva of the silver screen, what does that mean, Angelica, silver screen? Movie, movie, movie screen. Okay. Which diva of the silver screen was forever immortalized in the book and film Mommy Dearest? Donna, the answer is? Joan Crawford. Ding, ding, yeah. ding, ding, ding. Oh, yes, of course it was. Remember the old wire hangers? No more wire hangers. So do you know that movie? Do you know that movie, Mommy Dearest? 
I know the book and the movie. I don't remember um, wire hangers, but I remember that the the kids had to give up their Christmas presents because they were told that other kids needed them more. I can't remember if they had to give up them all or just most of them and keep one or something like that. And that was the one thing that stuck with me. Oh, there were lots of. There was that famous scene where Joan, well, played by um, what's her name, Faye Dunaway went off the deep end mm-hmm. when she saw that her daughter had hung her expensive dresses on wire hangers and not the padded wooden hangers. Oh, so, got you. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Wire mm-hmm. hangers! So, <laughs> wow, sounds fact, like well, I better go get and that were, one out of the I remember, box. I remember back, because this, this was an 80s movie, and people had created T-shirts with Faye Dunaway's um, picture as Joan Crawford on it with a wire hanger across her face. <laughs> so, all well, right. We all don't use wire hangers anymore because of that, right? Yeah, I don't. I, I only use wooden hangers. Well, wire hangers are not good for your clothes. They're not. So, All right. Well, thank you, Don, for calling in, and congratulations. Your present will go out to you in the mail in the next couple of days. Well, thank you very much for the present, but thanks also for the radio show and trying to help us all open our eyes to new thoughts that have never passed our that have maybe never come to our minds before. So well, very let's, much appreciate your show and good luck to all of you. Well thank you, Don, and good luck to you and I hope your I hope your blue skies come back soon. <laughs> I hope you have blue skies and beautiful snow. All right. Well thank you. We thank will you. Okay. All right. Bye, Donna. Donna. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Well that was nice. That's nice to have somebody know that mm-hmm. those mommy dearest. Mm-hmm. That was a big cultural thing in the eighties. People made fun of that for the longest time, my gosh. Mm. Okay, Angelica. Yes, sir. Do you have a quote for us? Are you going to quote us something? I do. Quoth the raven nevermore. Wow, that's deep. It is. Are you ready for the quote? This is not a snow job, is it? (laughs) (laughs) I still can't remember what a snow job is. (laughs) Okay, here goes the quote. I long to accomplish a great and noble task, but it is my chief duty to accomplish small tasks as if they were great and noble. This is by Helen Keller. Ooh, I like that. So you long to accomplish big tasks, but it's, what's that second part? It's the chief duty to accomplish small tasks as if they were great and noble. There you go. There you go. So you don't always aim for the big things. Sometimes aiming for the little things is is. In oh, itself, just yeah, as important, might, if not right, might eventually lead that has, to them. That has a lot of uh, implications for language teaching because we often you know, we ask these big questions and we try to revolutionize what we do. And sometimes what we need to do in language teaching is take steps and say, "Well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm gonna just tackle this for a while, and this is important enough to do right now. I don't have to change everything. I can just tackle this." Um, yeah, so we can we can approach language teaching as a set of small tasks that we have to do over time, rather than just one big revolutionizing what we do kind of task. I like that. That's good. I loved Helen Keller. She was great. Did you ever see The Miracle Worker? I did not. I have not seen it, no. You haven't seen The Miracle Worker? The original with Patty Duke? Oh, my gosh. No, senor. I could have put that on, uh, I could have put that on a uh, diva question. Hmm? Yeah, Patty Duke. She's Next week. See if people were listening. Here we go. It'll be a listening test. I have a question here Mm -hmm. from Diane. Is it a concern that tasks could require output beyond learner's acquisition? How does the teacher know and avoid that? Well, the um, tasks can do that, but tasks don't happen in a vacuum. You don't just give learners tasks to do. Here's how I advocate using tasks. You say... This is a task I want to work toward. And then what I do is I spend my time working toward that task with my students so they can do it. Mm-hmm. I don't just give students tasks to do. I use tasks as goals to aim for. And so um, you can, of course it's possible to give students things they can't do that's beyond their current ability. The, the idea is that you use tasks as a framework by which that's something that you are working toward. I don't want to say teach toward because teach has got that connotation of, you know, of explicit sort of teaching toward kind of thing. But you're leading them through, so your activities and stuff you're developing lead them toward that task. So they are then able to do that task. Um, and in my experience in working with tasks, when I've worked with them, is that um, when, when you get to actually do that task, students can do them to greater or lesser degrees, but nobody cannot not do them. Could I just do a double negative there? <laughs> nobody cannot not do them. Right. Everybody can do them. 
everybody yeah, can do. Every, there's got to be a better way to. Say everybody that. can do the task. <laughs> Some people do them better than others, but everybody can do the task. Nobody fails doing the task, and so, so the idea is don't just drop tasks in people's laps. Use them as something to work toward. So, um, and then, then you, and if you find out, for example, let's say I was in target this task for Monday. And you're headed toward money, you go, you know, I think they need a little more work on some things. I'm going to do some more activities that work on X, Y, and Z. And I'm going to put the task off till Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, it's fine too. So, um, but yes, that's a good question, Diane, because you can try to make, you can run the risk of making people do things. Um, and this is why input tasks are particularly good for the lower levels because students should be able to do the input tasks. You can get them there quickly. And then when you hand them the tasks to do, if they're reading off the page or reading off your PowerPoint slide or wherever it is you have the, the task that's in front of them, um, they should be able to do that um, uh, without any problem because it's not tapping anything. It's not making them create with language that they can't create. That they, It's not making them create with language that they are unable to do. That's what I want to say. Mm -hmm. Gosh. I took the, I got off the Mucinex like three days ago, but still <laughs> it's like, oh, that stuff is awful. Okay. All right. Anything else going on in email or Mixler? Mixler. Oh, Mixler. Yeah, it keeps going. Do you but have email I, I just have I have an email statement. It's a statement. A statement of support. Okay. This is and the reason I want to share this is because it's coming from Kay in Brisbane, Australia. Oh wow! So this is from Kay in well, Australia. Wait, 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 we have to stop and and say good day. Good day to Kay. <laughs> good day, Kay. And she says, today's topic is just what I'm looking for. I've been along the road of CI for quite a while using TPRS strategies, but I'm now moving further along the road and trying to develop more classroom activities which require natural language interaction from my year 7 through 12 students. Thank you for the inspiration. Regards, Kay. Yeah. And I, I, I could actually see like something like TPRS and, and some task-based not task-based teaching because that means something very particular, but some task-oriented teaching. Where I talk about it mixed together in a curriculum, working quite well together, actually, really, really quite well together. Um, I don't see them as opposite at all, particularly if you're working with input-oriented tasks um, in your in your early-level TPRS classes. So, a few people on Mixler have been asking how you assess tasks. I don't assess tasks; they just do them. There, yeah. that was easy. Yeah. I mean, if you want to assess tasks, you can you can do them like we do our can-do statements. You can do the two one zero kind of thing, which is two means you did the task easily and there's no problem. One, you did, but you fumbled through it a little bit, you had some difficulties here and there, and zero means you couldn't do it or you weren't there. So if you want to actually assess tasks. But tasks, I don't want to use uh, – I like students to – tasks are more like self-assessment. Tasks are something you can give students and say, here, you should be able to do this now and make students feel good as opposed to an assessment per se. Um, I know assessment's a big thing. I wish we could just get rid of assessment. We talked about this in the past. I wish we could get rid of assessment and testing and language altogether. I think it's it's a real problem for acquisition and for developing proficiency. Um, I mean, at some point, you've got to assess proficiency if you want to have an outcome. That I understand. But um, testing along the way and assessing constantly along the way, I think, is, is, is a problem uh, because Everything we know about acquisition and proficiency development is there's so much individual variation that you're inevitably going to make someone feel like they're not up to snuff when they're probably right at their natural point in learning or acquisition. So that's life. We talked about this too with first language acquisition. I remember one time, actually, I won't say his name, um, somebody who had multiple births. And... and um, because it was multiple births, um, had, what do you call it, um, access to state-oriented, state-funded help with the children. And one of the things was an assessment of language done by an actual speech scientist, speech pathologist. And the person came to the house, and I happened to be there visiting that time. And this speech person was commenting on the fact that the speech was delayed, and the speech was this, and here's what the parent needed to do to practice language with the children. And I'm going... I almost interrupted her, but I was, I was being polite. When she left, I was ready to pick up the phone and call her supervisor because it's well-documented. And this is a person who's an expert in language acquisition, right? It's well-documented in multiple births that there's a little bit longer delay in development um, because, for a variety of reasons. Um, um, and that, but by the time, by, by time of age of four and a half or something like that, you know, twins and triplets are right where everybody else is. 
Um, but these kids were like two and a half at the time. And this person was all up in arms because the children weren't where they were supposed to be developmentally at that point in time. And I'm going like, hold the phone. First of all, there's a lot of individual variation in children. And two, we know from multiple births that, that they're slightly delayed for a variety of reasons. Um, not cognitive, it's just it's a linguistic environment thing. And so we just have to keep this in mind that there's a lot of individual uh, variation in language acquisition, both in first and second language acquisition. And so to test people and assess them constantly just makes them feel bad if they're not where everybody else is because, and again, not, and you could have 10 people in 10 different places. So, all right, I talk too much. Those kind of things just <laughs> irritate me. I, get, I go off the deep end on that kind of stuff. Actually, I was, I was doing my, in my office earlier today, and we were talking about testing. I said, I don't believe in testing. He goes, yeah, he goes, because he has four finals next week. I go, why do you have four finals? Of course, he's a science major. That's why. So huh. I test him out a lot doing the science stuff. So anyway. I do have another question here. Please. Mixler. We love Mixler questions. Yay, Mixler. <laughs> do you consider? Pick up the phone and call. If you can be on I Mixler, know. you can pick up the phone and call. Well, I mean, actually, Jason is on jury duty, and he was listening in his, during his lunch break, so he said it would be quite inappropriate to call. But What's he on? With Judge Judy? <laughs> Yo, Judy Shinelin, I got to take a call here. Hold on. Would you, would you go? Hold on. Priorities, right? Um, so one question that has come up a couple of times here is, do you consider focus on form tasks tasks? Huh? Say that again? What? Do you consider focus on form tasks to be tasks? Is focus on form, is that a task? Is focus on form a task? Mm -hmm. No. Focus on form is a very big umbrella term for directing learners' attention to aspects of language. And you can have focus on form during a task, just like you can have focus on form during an activity, just like you can have focus on form during a conversation. Um, so unless, if I'm, unless I'm not understanding something. But focus on form is an umbrella term for just drawing learns attention to how the language works at a given point in time. Um, so, so maybe I'm not understanding something about the question there. These Mixler people, I'm telling you, they are just going crazy today. We need to, we need to make Mixler somehow connect to our phone lines. Right. So. <laughs> you know what we need to do is get like a, like a Siri software that reads the Mixler out loud. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then Daniel can just push the button. It'll go, hi, this is Jason calling from Judge Judy Scheinlin's chambers. I have a question for Bill Van Patten. That'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be. For those of you who are afraid to call in, we could just have Siri say your questions for really? you. <laughs> really? We could have some software where you just speak into your computer and then it goes to Daniel's computer and he puts it up. I think people are scared to call. Why? We're know. not mean. We're nice. They're Look, shy. We're fun. Look, we give away prizes. Look, we gave prizes away today. This is like the this is like the price of right of podcasts around here. You know, next thing you know, I'm going to be giving away a car, Walter's car, <laughs> <laughs> and then buying me a new one. Right? Oh, there we go. That's nice. <laughs> I walked into that one, didn't I? <laughs> my car's a 2004, so I'm not sure people want it. But I love my. Well, car. if they have a 1995, that might want a 2004. <laughs> Uh, well, I thought you had two cars, Walter. Well, yeah, and the other one's a 2001, I think. So, Oh, well, enough about cars. Time to wrap up here. Time to do my acknowledgments. Are y'all ready? Yeah. We're ready. Okay, here we go. I'm so tired. You do this, Walter. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, first we're going to thank- We'd like to thank our technical producer, Daniel Trago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, our technical producer, Daniel Trago. Of course, our media producer, Luca Giapponi, our talented and trusted call handler, muscle man, and all-around bartender, Dustin DeFelice, our wonderful assistant production manager, Jeff Maloney, the College of Arts and Letters at MSU, especially our dean, Christopher Long. Check out his podcast, people. You'll love it. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters any of our sponsors, or any other official entity of Michigan State University. And, of course, we thank all of you out there, even if you didn't call in today. <laughs> our topic next week is going to be something that Walter found on email. We'll put it up on um, the website or the newsletter this week. So until then, have a great weekend. Stay warm, everybody, if you're in Michigan and the surrounding areas. And happy second language acquisition to everyone. Say so goodbye, kids. Auf Wiedersehen. Bis nächste Woche. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs>